The Reality Check podcast is brought to you by Skillshare.com. Click the link in the show notes now to get two months free premium access to all of my courses, as well as the thousands of others that are up there right now. If you want to learn how to do something and you're not sure where to find an instructor for it, Skillshare is the place to go. My courses go in depth on how to meditate for your mental health. So if you've been looking for an excuse to start meditating, or if you want to help support the podcast, click the link, sign up, and get started. Remember, the first two months are free, and you can cancel at any time. So today I've got something for you that, to be honest, I've been putting off and avoiding. I'm going to read you a chapter of my first book, Under the Influence, Reclaiming My Childhood. This book was written as an act of writing therapy, basically just getting out the trauma of my past onto the page as a way to express it and come to terms with it and grow from it. However, the reason I've been avoiding it is because revisiting it, it simply hurts. It's going back there, uncovering those demons and reliving it. However, I know it's ultimately therapeutic in the sense that the more I look at it, the more I revisit it. When I look at it from a place of growth, it helps. But it's just, it's like I know I'm going to get punched in the gut and I just not looking forward to it. With that being said, though, I have made a commitment to share the stuff that I write, all of the stuff I write for free online, because I believe that information and ideas and stories that can help other people should be out for free and easily accessed. And for something like this, the reason I ended up releasing it is because for people that have gone through a traumatic past, who've had a father that was a drug addict and a drug dealer, who've gone through childhood trauma, who've dealt with mental illness. It's very, very easy to feel alone. It's very easy to feel like you're not, that no one understands your situation. And I'm not saying I understand your situation, but perhaps from listening to part of my story, you'll be able to relate to some aspects and from there feel not alone. And then from there, look at potentially some of the ways that I'm helping myself and that might help you, etc., etc. So, Without further ado, I'm going to get into this next chapter. It's the fourth chapter of the book called Just Popping By. Just Popping By. I loved going for drives with my dad. He would always let me choose the music and never complained about my taste. This is one of the little things that made him special to me. It made me feel like I was important. No one else let me choose the music. Dad loved going camping, and from a young age, he encouraged me to develop an interest in myself. The long drives up past Ballarat into the Victorian high country allowed for a lot of time to listen to music. Back then he drove around in a yellow tradesman's van. It was only the only one with, it was the one with only the front seats and large enough open space in the back. The windows even had flowered curtains. Similar to his house, his van was a mess. Discarded food wrappers, old drink cans, and generally just filled with trash. It always had an interesting musk about it. Not overpowering, just ever present. But hey, that's what all vans smell like, right? Man, I was naive. But when I went camping, he would make an effort to clean it all out, remove some of the accumulated mess that had built up. Rather than use a tent, he would put a mattress down that was big enough to fit the three of us. In the corner was a small bin placed next to other camping equipment, which included his metal detector. For a good couple of years, Dad tried his luck with prospecting. We'd all take turns with a metal detector and a pan, carrying shovels, splitters and other tools with us to help with the excavation of any potential gold. Not that we had much luck. I only remember finding a small piece of quartz with a tiny vein of surface gold. Not worth enough to even bother melting down. 
Those trips were fun fun whilst Dad was sober, or at least functionally high. We would talk, prospect, and play. I loved kicking a hacky sack around in the smallest openings between the trees. But later on, as the day progressed, Dad would get more and more stoned, withdrawing him into himself and leaving us to our own devices. Thus, I took it upon myself to look after and entertain my younger brother. This was no easy task, as he was not the most self-directed person when it came to play. I did my best to look after him, to make sure that he wouldn't burn himself in the open fire or drown in the river. He hated how controlling I was, but at least he was safe. <laughs> One time, Dad was smoking in the van with my brother and I sitting next to him. When finished, he placed the cigarette butt into a small bin. We continued to get dressed and ready for the day's activities. Two minutes later, the van was alive with flames. Shooting up the inside wall, singeing the mattresses and the upholstery of the black back of the driver's seat. Black smoke quickly filled the confined space and began choking my lungs. Dad and I both jumped up and sprung to action. I quickly got my brother out of the van and Dad grabbed a nearby towel and began to smother the flames. After a small battle which included me dousing the bin with river water, he managed to extinguish the fire. Based on the heat produced, he must must have burned himself, but I don't remember him saying a word. Dad was very stoic, with his emotions and feelings, so it's unsurprising he wouldn't mention anything about it. Nighttime in the bush was the best for me. When Dad was passed out and my brother was asleep, I would lie awake in the sleeping bag beside the open fire. The soft rustling of the tall trees and gush of the distant river was soothing. Being that far away from humanity was invigorating, invigorating, because on a clear night, it felt like you could see every star in existence. I would stare for hours lost in the beauty of the scene, listening to the music of nature and feeling the cold kiss of a nice breeze offset by the radiant warmth of a fire. A few days later, Dad would head home, and joint in his hands and my music blaring. All things considered, those trips were quite enjoyable. Music is a way of framing memory of events. Every song or artist I listen to is strongly attached to a person, object, or issue in my life. It's like the association of smell. You know how when you smell something, like a roast lamb and rosemary in the oven, it instantly brings you back to your grandma's dining room table? The memories just grab you. You have no choice in the matter. Music does exactly the same for me. So every time I hear the song from Offspring's Americana album, my favourite at the time, I'm reminded of the following series of events. The release date of the album suggests that I was in primary school, most likely grade 3. This would make me about 9 to 10 years old, and my brother about 4. Although thinking back, what I've described happened throughout my whole childhood. I don't think there was a time when it wasn't happening. I'm just popping by. Dad would say this as he jumped out of his car. He'd walk to the front door, talk to the people inside, then two or three minutes later he would come back, hop into the driver's seat and we're off. Dad sure did have a lot of friends. He, He was always visiting his mates, and people were always coming around. For a while there, I never understood what was going on. Dad was extremely social, but didn't hang out with most of his friends for more than a couple of minutes at a time. I I assumed they were busy, or that Dad had other people to see and couldn't afford to spend too long with each person. I wish I had this many friends when I'm older. I would pray, hoping that my social situation would improve. Every weekend, we would go driving. On the way to the supermarket to pick up some groceries, Dad would pop in to a friend's house. Going for a drive to the beach, another pop in. That was his life. He was an extremely social man. It wasn't until I was around grade three that I realized exactly what was happening. On practically every car trip that my father took us on, he was dealing. I'm not sure what the average product turnover rate for dealers is, or the amount of customers per day that the average dealer has, but based on the volume of transactions, I would have to assume that Dad was quite successful in his trade. 
If only he could have turned those skills into product management and personal delivery services into a legitimate career. Imagine the sort of person that would take their, their, their children on drug deals. What was he thinking? I can never fathom exposing a child to that world. Thinking about it makes me question his sanity as well as his love for us. Either he didn't realise the risks he was putting us in, or he purposely and repeatedly exposed his children to a highly volatile and dangerous world that most people will never see. When we were home, his friends would always be popping around for a quick visit. He would often be interrupted. We would often be interrupted from our play or sleep with knocks on the door, and if we didn't respond quick enough, the windows of our bedrooms. Some of the time, Dad greeted them personally, and after a quick discussion, they left. Often, however, I would answer the door because Dad had told me to let them in. They would sit down on the couch next to me and wait for Dad to get the stuff. I hated them. They were always there, always popping in. I just wanted to spend time with my dad in peace, but they were there all the time. Before I realised that dad was dealing, I assumed that these people were normal. I mean, I realised they were a bit odd, but I didn't really understand the gravity of the situation. Once I understood the truth, I hated them even more. Most of these people looked and smelled worse worse than dad. Derelict losers who seemingly had never heard of a shower in their lives. On their gaunt faces, they wore vacant expressions that were juxtaposed by the strain of near-constant coughing. Talking, them, talking to them was the worst. All they could manage was a slow and sustained drawl, often slurring their words. They would pause in the middle of a sentence, like they were waiting for the other side of their brain to catch up from lag. And my God, would they never shut up with their pointless rambling sentences that would bounce between topics constantly. Every interaction was, with them was excruciating. Zach, your, your father, he, he's a good man. Did you know that? He's always talking about you, how happy he is about the things that you're doing. Did you know? Anyway, I'm, I'm just waiting around, waiting for him. Have you seen the football recently? I, I haven't, but a mate of mine told me something on the TV once about a game show. What have you been doing today? Zach, your father is a good man, you know. It didn't matter what you said back, or even if you said anything back. They would just ramble on and on until Dad returned. Then as quick as that, they would just up and leave. At least Dad was talking to his mates about how proud of of me he was. That's something, I suppose. Being left alone with these people was a nightmare. Looking back, I'm legitimately surprised that I wasn't abducted or killed. It's quite miraculous, really. I was always concerned that one day, one of these crazy people would snap, randomly just flip out and try to rob us or kill us. Who knows who they were or where they've come from? It would be quite easy to pull a knife and overcome a child and an out-of-shape addict. They would interact with me. When they would interact with me, I did my best to ensure that I was saying the right things and acting the right way as to not provoke them. I made sure to maintain eye contact. Not too much, but still some. I would nod and respond to their conversation, trying not to anger them. I did my best to keep the peace. I had to keep them engaged until Dad came back and they would leave. In order to keep us safe, I always had to be on around those people, always ready to fight or run, maintaining a constant state of alertness. To this day, I struggle to relax, feeling constant tension and anxiety when there is no logical reason for it to be there. I find myself always wanting conversations to end so quickly so that I can be alone. I would often ask Dad not to let him in, not to let them in, and to tell them to not come around, but to no avail. He'd always respond with, I have to let them in. They're my friends. Besides, don't stress. They're just popping by. 
When I was old enough to realize what was going on, I became extremely frustrated with the whole situation. But being so young, I couldn't do anything to change my part in it. I couldn't fight. I couldn't run. I was trapped. What's more, I was aware that my father was a criminal. I was aware that he was a dealer and that these people were his clients. I knew that he was willfully endangering us, his children, for money. He really didn't care. I couldn't pretend anymore. I couldn't tell a big enough lie to cover the sad truth that was my life. Ignorance would have been a welcome bliss. I, would, I couldn't forget or ignore what was going on, so I turned inward, played music loudly and retreated into a dark room. Forcibly cramming your eyes closed with the volume turned way up is almost an escape. Listening to music as a family is one of the few positive lessons that I'll take from my dad in relation to parenting. I really liked how mature it made me feel to be able to choose the songs. How loved I felt when we shared music and happiness gained from pumping the volume up, regardless of where the car was travelling. On the other hand, where the car is travelling to also matters, as does who you expose your children to on a regular basis. So, like I said, it's <laughs> it's it's always so hard for me to, to, to revisit that world because it's like stepping back in a time machine and as as I read it it just floods my floods my mind with images and visions and different events and it's it's, it's overwhelming to say the least um, if you're interested in reading more of this book under the influence reclaiming my childhood like I said I'll be over the time releasing it piece by piece I don't know when I'll put the next one out I hope to do it in a couple of months, but it depends on my mental frame and when I'm able to do it. Um, there's already three other chapters online, and if you click the link down below, you can read more about that or listen to it and read these chapters. Um, and if you would like to own a copy, you can via the links below. I've got it out as a paperback, ebook, and audio book, and um, that's basically a great way that you can show your support for what I'm doing here um, by purchasing a copy and that sort of stuff. Um, if you do decide to purchase a coffee, please, please, please leave a review because it helps everything I'm doing, basically. Um, I just want to say that if you can relate to my story here um, and you want to talk about your story, please connect with me. Um, contact me on social media at Zach P. Phillips or via my website at Zachary-Phillips.com. On my website, if you want to share your story i've got to share your story project and basically it was start started once i first released this book of other people coming to me and saying hey i've got a similar story so i decided to make a sort of a blog basically where people can share their story because i know that reading about other people's similar stories helps me and i know that writing my story helps me as well and i figure that if i'm getting benefit from this i know other people will be so i wanted to create a bit of a platform to help people express share and connect down that path so check that out the links to the share your story to this book to all of the stuff i've been talking about will be down below um and yeah thanks for listening um i don't know i'm just okay i gotta go do some self-care now or something catch up